the Ain't No Fang podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. The MLB trade deadline is only days away. Teams are starting to make moves, but not the Arizona Diamondbacks. At least, not yet. I'm Steve Zinsmeister with Alex Weiner, who covers the team at ArizonaSports.com. So the Dodgers make another move today. They've made two significant trades in the last couple of days. They're a little bit more active before the deadline rolls around. But other teams like the Diamondbacks are kind of sitting in a situation where other things are unfolding around them, and I think it's going to ultimately affect the price of some of the guys they might want to go after. Absolutely. I mean, the Dodgers, I mean, just a couple of minutes before we jumped on here, they get Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly from the White Sox. They already traded for Ahmed Rosario, getting rid of Noah Syndergaard. And so the Dodgers jumping on it pretty early. The trade deadline is Tuesday, and the Diamondbacks... Look, Mike Hazen said this week that the market hasn't quite opened itself up yet The as far as values and what it's looking like. Since then, it's started to with the Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez trade to the Angels. Now the Dodgers making moves. Mets send David Robertson to the Marlins. And so it's it's starting to seep through now and we're getting a better idea of where we are with it. I wonder if that maybe pushes the Diamondbacks to maybe make a move this weekend as opposed to waiting for Tuesday. I'm not so sure about that, but yeah, it's, it's we're starting to get a better picture of what we're looking at here. It's interesting because we know that the Diamondbacks are going to be looking at starting pitching, relief pitching. Those are the top two. Now, if somehow they end up getting a right-handed outfield bat, sure, that makes sense too. But let's focus on the pitching because that's pretty much what they should be focused on. You've got deals like the Aroldis Chapman deal, uh, this David Robertson trade, where I look at them and I and the return package is really not that bad. It's not top end prospects. It's not even in Texas's case they didn't even give up two. They gave up two guys who weren't in their top thirty, and so I look at that and I'm thinking, well, that's achievable for an organization like the Diamondbacks. The David Robertson deal. Doesn't look too bad. Uh, If that was what was out there for the Diamondbacks, could they have jumped in on that? Mm -hmm. So if you want to look around at other um, relievers who are on expiring contracts, I think that this is a good sign. But then I see a deal like Lucas Giolito's deal to the Angels, where he's an expiring starting pitcher. And he goes to the Angels and they gave up what is essentially their two top prospects. Their number one prospect is Logan Ohapi, who's kind of made his appearance at the major leagues already. Right. If he wasn't hurt, he wouldn't be a prospect anymore. Exactly. So they essentially gave up their two best prospects to get Lucas Giolito for two months. And I understand a lot of it has to do with keeping Shohei Otani and trying to make a playoff push and Artie Moreno and the direction of the organization. It's a much different situation. But that deal was so expensive compared to the reliever market. Fujinami goes for next to nothing to Baltimore. So I feel really good about the reliever market right now in terms of the cost. I don't feel as good about the starter market. Like, what would Jordan Montgomery cost if the Diamondbacks decided to go after him? I'm I'm not sure. It's a good question. And I think Gambo said on the show yesterday that the Diamondbacks are interested in Jordan Montgomery, but the price might be a little high right now, and they're waiting for it to it go down. It should be. It should be high. He's a very good pitcher. I mean, Jordan Montgomery this year has been as reliable a starting pitcher as it gets. I mean, a 337 ERA with a 359 FIP, he's doing exactly what he needs. Eight strikeouts per nine about, 1.2 whip. He's He's been like a perfect like number three starter. That would be very valuable, especially as a lefty, to give teams different looks with Gallon, Kelly, and then Montgomery potentially. But we don't know what that would look like. What if, you know, the trend continues that it's one starter and one reliever somehow get uh, added into these trades and uh, 
you know, the Cardinals extension talks with Jordan Hicks apparently didn't go as planned. And could there be like a Montgomery Hicks package or something like that? How high are the Dimebacks willing to shoot for this? I know David Bednar has been brought up a lot. Is there a Bednar Mitch Keller package that would cost the that would cost the farm? But I mean, if that's what they think gives them the best opportunity to win in the next three or so years before those players become very expensive from a money perspective, then is that something to be willing to do? So right now we're getting a better picture of what it's looked like. You're right. The starter market has been pretty steep so far. I don't know. Maybe if they just want to kind of work on the edges, add bulk to the bullpen, maybe this is a pretty good sign with that. And you could look at like a Scott Barlow or one of those relievers from the Cardinals and maybe feel good about not giving up as much. On my Saturday weekend show, I pitched the idea of calling the Cardinals and saying, we need three things. We need a starting pitcher, a relief pitcher, and a right-handed outfielder. And we feel we can get all three from you. (laughs) We feel we can get Jordan Hicks off of you because, as you mentioned, their contract negotiations don't seem to be going well. That could change in the next couple of days. Um, We'll take them off your hands for the next two months. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, we'll take him off your hands for the next two months. Gambo has already reported that Diamondbacks do have some level of interest in Jordan Montgomery. And then Tyler O'Neill, who we have since learned the Cardinals don't have specific interest in moving him. They're not trying to trade him. I'm sure if somebody came along and offered the sun, the earth, the moon, and the stars, they would probably have to think about it. But even if that deal were just whittled down to the two pitchers, I think that's something that the Diamondbacks should be interested in. And because they're both rental players... That price shouldn't be astronomical, but as I mentioned with Lucas Giolito going for two top prospects from the Angels, Jordan Montgomery should probably go for a comparable package. I mean, just if we're comparing apples to apples. Right. Although if you're comparing the Dimebacks uh, minor league system to the Angels, then maybe it's not so much apples to apples because their top two prospects are their top two prospects, but the Dimebacks... The Diamondbacks have two super prospects. They, yeah, and it would be hard pressed to imagine that either of them go in a trade for a rental. Uh, That said, they do have some depth behind them that could be potentially appealing for a team like the Cardinals, especially if the Cardinals are going to pivot and try to compete next year with Nolan Arenado, with Paul Goldschmidt, if they bring back Paul Goldschmidt, who we just saw kind of light up the Diamondbacks for, uh, for a couple of games there. If that's what their goal is, then the Diamondbacks still have some guys in the upper minors who can help out their pitching. Like in AAA, they're, I mean, some of these guys are really pitching well lately. Slade um, Ciccone Slade, just Ciccone had, had a great start. Yeah, yeah a great start. Bryce, Bryce Jarvis, Jarvis has been a good. good. couple of stretches. Um, Blake Walston's in AAA, although I like Blake Walston. He's had a weird year. Um, Brandon Fought, there's a discussion to be had there. I, sure. I realize Brandon Fought is your top pitching prospect, and every time he goes back down to Reno, he dominates. Um, he's like the perfect definition of a 4A player, where he's just too good for AAA, and every time he gets called up, he gets shelled. He right did have now, a good. He did have a good start the last time out, though. Right now, he's still 24, uh, and right. he's going to start this weekend. So maybe this is like a huge start as far as like what teams are looking at him, what the Diamondbacks can see with him. I don't know how one start's going to make but a huge difference, but, but that's maybe it weird is a big start to balance. The weight of do we trade him? Do we keep him? On how successful he is on I don't what day is he pitching? Do you know? Uh, so I believe that doesn't really Saturday matter. Or Sunday. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. This week I think it's Saturday. Saturday. So let's say he goes out and pitches six innings, no runs, ten strikeouts, like a really good outing. Are you more inclined to include him in a package for a big name player, or are you more inclined to keep him? Like I, I, I see I a good performance, right. I'm not sure and that I'm like, much. that tells me he's got potential. I want to keep. Yeah, but it tells other clubs like that kid's got potential. I want to go get. Yeah, 
And so it's weird to put all that expectation on one start, much like you mentioned earlier uh, in the last couple of minutes about, you know, do you change your draft day or your uh, trade deadline strategy based on how you're playing over the next four or five days? You can't. It can't come down to that, but it always does. Every year, some team makes the decision on the day of the deadline, okay, I know we're four games out of a wild card, but we're going we're gonna to jump ship. I don't know if that's the Chicago Cubs this year or who that team is. They're playing too well. Yeah, they are playing really well. Their run differential is actually really good. Best in their division. Um, but inevitably, teams are going to look at how they do over the next three, four days, and that's going to make or break whether or not they decide to go for it in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, and again, that's one thing that Hazen said they don't really want to do. They kind of know what they need at this point. Um, But yeah, obviously, I mean, I think there's like naturally might be some sort of obligation, like if they dominate this series and feel like, oh, we can get back on track. We can continue to add to this momentum. Let's help us do that. He he has said like this team has played well enough and that they deserve a team, a front office that's going to be aggressive at the deadline and try to add to this team and potentially add some power to this team. But, man, it, it, it's really hard to gauge what these next three days could potentially look like for them and how much they want to shoot for the Stars. I mean, I mean, again, three games against the Seattle Mariners, could that matter a lot? I guess we'll find out, but... Well, I, I think know. it matters more because you're 3-9 and nine since coming out of the All-Star break. Right. And, and they weren't exactly on a roll going into the All-Star break. And this past series was a perfect opportunity for them. They should have won the first game of the series. They had a great comeback victory in Game 2, and then Game 3 was a great game until the wheels fell off at the very end of it. So it feels like you could walk away like, man, could they have won 2 out of 3 or 3 out of 3? They probably should have, and they didn't. And is there going to be a feeling that if we can add these three pieces... We'll win series like that going forward, and that'll help the team out. I think they're in that perfect position to add complementary rental players because it won't sacrifice your future. Because I'm with you. You're not trading Jordan Lawler. Definitely not for a rental. But is Jordan Montgomery too good for that? What do you mean by that? Like, he's the kind of guy you would go and trade for and then try to extend? I mean, sure, if you trade for him, you'll try to extend him. I think that's natural. But at the same time, is he going to be too expensive with Jordan Hicks, given what the packages have been for, like a Lucas Giolito. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it might be that. too expensive. Yeah. Yeah. You might be right. I mean, I don't trade, I'm not trading Jordan Lawler in a rental deal. And honestly, he might be the level of prospect where I'm like, I don't want to trade him, period. What if it's for Keller and Bednar? <sighs> That's tough. How much control does Keller have? Two I years? Think 26. 26, so I mean, three check. years after this. And Bednar's through 26, if I'm remembering right. So Keller becomes a free agent in 26. So you'd get him for the rest of this season, and next season, years. and 2025. Bednar, you'd get him for this season, next season, 2026, or 2025 and 2026. Okay. So you'd have a closer for <sighs> the next three and a half years. Two and a half years of a starter, three and a half years of a closer. Both all-stars. Both all-stars. Both young. Do you include Lawler in that package? Now, on the one hand, I think Perdomo's played well enough at shortstop this year, an all-star, that you don't exactly need a shortstop the way you did six months ago. But on the other hand, Perdomo hit under 200 last year in a full season of work, and so which version of Perdomo is the real one? I think this year is closer to the real one, but they're still platooning him a decent amount with Nick Ahmed. It's true. So it's not like he's the quote-unquote everyday shortstop. Whereas Jordan Lawler would be an everyday shortstop. In theory. In yeah. theory, yeah. Assuming he works out. I don't think this deal gets done without him. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. 
if you're packaging Keller and Bednar, because if you if you do it just for Bednar, I think there's probably a trade you could yeah. work out without Lawler in it. Um, right, I'm, I'm I'm talking specifically for both. Yeah, just because you're trying to package them. It's been floated on the internet, and it's sort of an interesting idea. I don't know why the Pirates would do it. Um, I think they're getting closer to con- contention. I mean, they were in first place for a lot of this season. That was a little. Bit I know of they're fool's in like gold. last. They're in last now. A little think, bit of but. fool's gold, but I mean, they're bringing more guys up. I mean, Henry Davis is now up. Tamar Johnson could be a guy up next year, maybe. The Pirates are in this tough situation. I've heard Nick um, Gonzalez is up. I mean, if they want to compete in the next three years, why wouldn't you want to do that with Keller and Bednar? So I think that right. drives up the price if you're going to pry those guys away. I've heard Ken Rosenthal say this, so I'll credit him, not me. He's much more dialed in when it comes to the other organizations, but. He has pointed out that the Pirates organization knows at some point we have to stop giving away all of our best players that we're developing. You know, they gave away Garrett Cole. They gave away Tyler Glasnow. They gave away Jamison Tyone. They've given away everything that they've developed personally. Uh, Josh Bell even uh, eventually goes away. So they realize at some point we have to stop doing that because then we're never going to be competitive if we always just trade our best guys. Starling Marte gets traded to the D-backs for a bunch of guys who are 18 years old. They know that, you know, like that might work out down the road, but that's six years down the road. And you can't just keep doing that perpetually. You'll never win at the major league level. So they know in order to keep fans, we can't keep doing that. And if you have three and a half years of control over one of the best closers in the game, you might as well keep him. If you have two and a half years of control over Mitch Keller, who's one of the best strikeout pitchers in the league this season, you're probably going to keep him. So they're probably inclined as an organization to stop selling all of their players, even though it might behoove them in the long run. They know we can't keep doing this. And I think the Diamondbacks have gone through periods like that in their organization's history, young history, much younger than the Pirates, where they realized we can't just keep giving away all of our guys. And playing against Paul Goldschmidt this past weekend mm. is, or this past week, has kind of reiterated that. Where you're watching the the former MVP that you gave away and you got basically nothing. I mean, I'm sorry, Carson Kelly, uh, he's an okay catcher, but really for your franchise's best player in history, you got nothing that contributes to this winning team right now. And so you're looking at that and you're like, man. Maybe we should just hold on to all the guys we develop. Maybe it's a good thing Corbin Carroll gets locked up super early. I mean, I always thought that was a good thing. But the Pirates are looking at that and they're like, why are we still trading away all our best guys and hoping for next year? Eventually, it's got to be next year and we got to try to win. And I think that's why the Pirates won't move David Bednar. I think those are all fantastic points. Um, and, and I totally every now agree. and then, <laughs> every now and then I do that. <laughs> I totally agree. Like, I, I mean, it, it seems strange. Like, if you think your competitive window is coming, it seems strange to trade guys who have so much control left and are already arrived as right. contributors. Um, the D-backs, and I guess a, a brief thing on the Goldschmidt thing, I guess that was a little different because he was in a con- contract year and they yeah, he didn't was get an extension done. And again, yeah, you're right. As far as value is concerned, the Cardinals hit that one out of the park as far as the trade. And that's why, I mean, there was a big lesson for Mike Hazen and why they extended Corbin Carroll. They didn't want to have to deal with that until, what, 2030? Right. So... And that, you know, that's something that the Braves have championed over the last few years is locking up their young stars when they know they have something here. That's something the Diamondbacks are, I mean, I would imagine would want to do eventually if they, you know, develop some more guys. Exactly. Um, The Diamondbacks might be an interesting case as far as a team that has the firepower to trade for players like this because their prospects, at least some of their bigger prospects, are closer, if that makes sense. Like, 
if the pirates were to do this and they were going to get a a deal that has i don't know how many five prospects from the diamondbacks i mean a lot of those guys would probably be in double a triple a they're close they're closer and so if, they're not 18 year olds like they got for starling Marte. exactly and so if you can add like three prospects who could theoretically be in your rotation next year or two guys who could be in your lineup next year if you know lawler could be your starting shortstop next year then maybe they're a little bit more willing to do that than if they received packages from other teams for younger guys. I'm not so sure. It also depends on sort of the star power, which is one of the things that the Denback system has a lot of depth, but maybe not a ton of guys who people think are going to be superstars um, just based on rankings. So I don't know. It's a very good question to ask. It seems hard pressed for me to believe that they're going to trade both of them if it's either of them, maybe it's more likely Bednar just because the real, I don't know, kind of set a new reliever market. Maybe he'd be more expensive. I don't know. It's but those man, years it's, it's of control that are going to drive the price to, like, up. Get rid of two of those guys. And so if they're the Dimebacks, that makes it harder to pry them away. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I, like I said earlier, I don't even expect them to move Bednar. I mean, I think it would be a pretty crazy package if if they did. And yeah. do the Diamondbacks have the most pressing package to impress them? I don't I don't know the answer to that. Um, it's there's like plenty those... of other contending clubs that haven't made any moves yet. And I'm guessing they're dying to just as badly as the Diamondbacks. I mean, we're still in a situation where there are so many more buyers than sellers at this point. Oh, I it's mean, ridiculous. Because, like, with, with the Angels, what they're doing, and they're going all in, that could have been a huge seller if they decided to go in that direction. It seemed far-fetched that they would go in that direction, but now that they're not, I mean, who... Now we look at it, and it's like, who are sellers? In the American League, there are four teams under 500, and they're, like, are out of playoff races. Okay, go. Just four. List them. The Tigers, the White Sox, the Royals, and the Athletics. Well, the White Sox just moved the only two starting pitchers that I think they're going to move. I don't think yeah, Dylan not, Cease will I get don't moved. Think, I don't think everything Kopech's says they're definitely not, move not moved. Um, so, and Tim Anderson might be the one piece left that I would expect Chicago to move. Maybe if they want to continue to clear out the bullpen. I, I know we talked about Aaron Bummer last time yeah. um, as a possibility. Maybe. Joe Kelly just got, was he Joe was on Kelly the White Sox? Joe Kelly yeah. was just moved, too. So he was just moved. So yeah, they're they're running out of trade chips. Okay, um, if what you're else? the Tigers, they have a bunch of guys. They have Michael Lorenzen. Could you get in on Michael Lorenzen? That's another rental. Yeah. So it's kind of the similar conversation to Montgomery with less of a sure fire track record. Lorenzen's had a very good season, but Montgomery's been the more consistent starter for the last few years, and he's a lefty. Um, they also have Alex Lang that we talked about with the trade ideas earlier. He's kind of similar to Bednar though, where it's a lot of team control. He's been very good. He hasn't been, you know. A star closer like like Bednar has been the last couple of years, but he's been very good. Kansas City, they have Scott Barlow, Eduardo I mean, Rodriguez, something in Detroit is yeah. another one that's going to get a lot of play. Huge one, and probably very expensive. They'll probably yeah. see the Lucas Giolito price and be like, okay, we want that and a little bit more because right. he has more team control. Um, I think he's actually, I think he has an option. But Kansas City, still. you mentioned Barlow, yeah. But, I mean, they already moved Chapman, so do they want to move the only other reliever that they have? I don't think it matters at this point. I think they're. They're, I mean, they're, they're 29 decimated. and 75. Yeah, they're pretty decimated. They are one game better than Oakland, as much as like flack as everyone's given Oakland. And Oakland season. doesn't have anything that I want. Yeah. Not really. Uh, Trevor May, maybe. I mean, I, I remember Strom earlier this year talked about like um, recruiting like Miguel Castro to the Diamondbacks. And he said, like, yeah. oh, I talked to Pierce Johnson and uh, Trevor May, too. Pierce Johnson just he got, got moved. traded. Yeah. Um, yeah, Trevor May, maybe. Paul Blackburn? I don't know. Was an all star last year. And then controllable years. I don't know. Yeah. And then going to the National League, 
it, it's sort of like, what do the big teams do? The Padres, the Mets, and the Cardinals. And then after that, it's Pirates, Nationals, Rockies. But like, I don't know. Could you go to the Mets and... I'm not sure what you could do with the Mets. Maybe you could add a right-handed outfield bat if you wanted to, like if they were willing to um, part ways with Marcana. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's about it. Robertson would have been a great idea, um, especially given the price that it happened. That's, Where did Robertson go? He went to the Miami Marlins. Yeah, okay. So, Nationals, yeah. I love Lane Thomas as a right-handed outfield bat, but he's a top 20 player in the game this year. So are they willing to move that guy with so many controllable years? He was, I don't know. He's a fast guy, good good fielder in the outfield. Like he'd be a perfect fit if you like, I don't know, if they wanted Alec Thomas and, you know, some prospects or something. Oh, I don't know if I'd do that. I think I would. Really? I think I would. Yeah, for Lane. High average guy. He's got some pop. He's gonna swipe some bags. He's gonna play a really good outfield. Definitely under the radar was kind of a throw in in a I think it was in the John Lester yeah. trade. I think I would do that. With the confidence that McCarthy and Carroll could play center field for the foreseeable future, yeah, I think I would. And with Lord, here's the other thing we haven't talked about, and I'll throw it in here. I think it's applicable here. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. was an all-star this year, had a phenomenal month of May, maybe the best player in baseball in the month of May, has fallen off a cliff since then. I think he's like one of his last 35 or something like that. He's just been really bad at the plate yeah, lately. This month, he's got a 28 WRC plus, Yeah, which means he's 72% worse than a league average hitter. I still believe in him. I still like him a lot as a player, but his batting average has essentially gone from the 290s to the 250s very, very quickly. And he is not signed beyond the season. So the Diamondbacks, in a weird way, because we know that Mike Hazen has occasionally at the trade deadline done some selling and some buying at the same time. Do they have a tough decision to make about Lourdes Gurriel here? I don't know who exactly out there is clamoring to come and swoop him away from the Diamondbacks. And you as a team are in a position to add, not subtract. But with him not having any level of success over the last month, month and a half, are they looking to jump ship on that experiment and just chalk it up as, you know what, we got... A really good first half from Lourdes. We got our catcher of the future for the foreseeable future, who's one of the best defensive catchers in the game and a pretty good offensive catcher, too. And do we just chalk that trade up as, hey, we think we won that trade. Now let's see what we can get for Lourdes. But at the same time, this is a team that's looking to add a right-handed outfield bat, not subtract. Yeah. And so if you were to move him, I'm guessing you're not getting a huge package back for him. How do you then cycle that back to somebody else and get something in return, you know, like Elaine Thomas or, you know, whatever that right field, right handed hitting outfielder is? Yeah, it would have to be that. It would have to be dramatic. They have like Elaine Thomas and then maybe somebody else on the Nationals. They have a package lined up. Yeah. This is where and we we mentioned earlier that that Dodgers Guardians trade. It's like that's that cinder guard for Rosario. It's like, oh, that doesn't really do much for the market for the Diamondbacks of what they're looking for potentially. But now thinking about it, is there a one-for-one deal, like, if there's, like, a Gurriel trade to make, could they get, I don't know, someone else's strength back for that, maybe? Like, some sort of one-for-one deal, and then you make that Lane Thomas deal on the side? I don't know. So let's, let's expound upon that. So the Dodgers moved a pitcher that kind of fell out of favor and just can't get the velocity up in Noah Syndergaard. To Cleveland, who I didn't think needs started pitching, but whatever. And they move Beaver's a hurt. they move yeah right. And they move an infielder Ahmed Rosario who kills lefties, not particularly great against righties, so he's a, a niche player for the Dodgers. That's a position player for a pitcher. Could you move Gurriel and try to use him as bait to get a third starter in your rotation? 
would that be more appealing to some team out there than moving a bunch of prospects? At least we know Guriel. We're familiar with him. He's been in the league seven years. He's hit 290. He'd be a rental. He would be a rental. I understand that. But would he be more appealing? I mean, Giolito got a good package in return. I'm not equating the two. They're clearly very different. But could you move Lourdes Guriel in a package to get a starting pitcher, maybe that's controllable, into your rotation, and then move some of the prospect pieces to get an outfielder to replace Guriel? I think it's, it's a lot of moving pieces. It's an interesting concept. I find it far-fetched. Yeah. Um, and also with Guriel, I mean, how much patience are you willing to like give up in that sense? Because the best version of this offense had him humming. Um, and what he has been in the clubhouse, what he has been for that lineup, I mean, it's been all very, very valuable. It just hasn't translated in June and July at this point. Right. Um, how much are you willing to take that big piece out of your clubhouse out in like a one for one trade for a reliever and then do some switching parts. I'm, I'm, I'm just not entirely sure what it looks like at that point. I think it's a good idea as far as like considering it and playing the game a little bit. They but, have to be thinking about it too, because yeah. I imagine a lot of D-backs fans, despite the struggles for Guriel in the last two months, I think a lot of fans want him back. And they would love for them to sign him long term. He's a very fun player. He's yeah. a great presence in the great clubhouse. Great clubhouse dude. Yeah, it's the purple it's a lot hair of fun. thing is it's it's like Archie's beard. It's just something that fans can attach themselves to that means nothing, really, in the in the big <laughs> grand scheme of things. But it does if it brings people in and it'll have them watching right. the games and it's like, Oh, I love Lord Escuriel, let's go bring our purple wigs and go watch it. It's a it. promotional thing. Yeah, but And it's cool. Yeah. And, and people can get behind it. Absolutely. It's an identifiable feature. It's the reason Anthony Davis kept his unibrow. It's the reason James Harden has a really long beard. It's, you know, it's it's marketable. It's something that makes an individual player marketable in a way that others can't. Nobody else in the league has purple hair, <laughs> to my knowledge. Um, so I think a lot of fans would love to see Gurriel signed long term. But the thing is, that becomes easier for the Diamondbacks when he struggles. Because if he has a lot of success in the next two months, which would be great for the team... It would also make him less attainable in free agency, I would think, because more people would be interested in his services in free agency. So it's a double-edged sword in my mind, where the more success he has, great for the team. I want that. I absolutely want that. And it'll drive up our desire to keep him around, but it'll also drive up the desire of other teams to go and get him in free agency and possibly pay more than the Diamondbacks are willing to pay. So it's this weird double-edged sword, in my opinion. Yeah, They, they have some yeah. decisions to make on Gurriel. I, 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 do. I don't think it's easy. Do I extend a qualifying offer? I don't know. It might be a little steep. That's a lot for that. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. But he was an all-star, too. Right. I mean, is... Largely because of the month of May, though. Is there a long-term deal that you're comfortable with? I mean, I guess it'll all depend on these last couple months, assuming they hold on to him. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it Go back to the like trade deadline element of this. I mean, you need a, multiple things to be kind of ready to go, and then you can kind of lock in both. Um, that changes the look of the team a little bit. It does. Maybe a lot. They need it at this point, just based on where they are. He's taking you to a certain point. I, I know I kind of contradict myself a little bit there, just because I'm trying to think this out. I think it's an interesting idea. I don't know. It seems like a lot to get done. It feels like it'll be more. I don't even know how to like. I'm still processing that. It's a good idea. I had a, maybe I had a boss once tell me. Now this is this is business, not necessarily baseball. Mm-hmm. But I had a boss who told me. It's easier to move one piece than it is multiple. Like, imagine your day job, right? It's 
easier to just promote somebody and then find somebody else to fill that slot than it is to move this person to this department, which moves this person to another department, which moves this person back to the original department. It's easier to just move one piece than it is multiple because that could potentially mess up a lot of things. If I just move one piece, I may I may get that right, I may get it wrong. That person may be a good fit and may be a terrible fit, but at least I only made one mistake. Whereas if I move a bunch of pieces, now I have potential, the, the risk goes way up that I could have ruined multiple aspects of my business. I suspect that's the same thing with the baseball team. You know, if you move Lourdes Curiel and replace him with another player, fine. One for one. And if it doesn't work out, you made a bad deal. That happens sometimes. But if you move him for a starter and then you move starting prospects for an outfielder and then you go get another outfielder, now you've moved a lot of pieces on the puzzle. And it's harder to get it back in the right place. And so for that reason, maybe you don't mess with what you have. And with these next couple of games coming up and like if they're continuously falling out of favor, are you again back to the point of like, does it matter this next few games or not? Are you more or less willing to do something a little bit more drastic like that to either try to right the ship quickly or set yourself up for next year a little bit better? Because like in a one for one swap with Guriel and Thomas. Like that's not happening, but like, like, no. like, just in theory, like if you like move Guriel in one trade, bring in Thomas in another trade. Thomas could be on your team next year without you thinking about it, because he's signed through twenty twenty six, twenty twenty five. We're talking about like Lane that. Thomas. Lane Thomas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not Alec Thomas. So you could right. put Lane Thomas. It's confusing because there's multiple Thomases in this scenario. You could have an uh, if you have an Alec Thomas jersey, you need maybe the little A on it or something. But, <laughs> Change the number. Uh, yeah. Um. It's something to think about. It is That's something all I'm to saying. think about. But I, it, again, I just feel like it's a little bit much at this point to change the complexity of the team that much. It needs changing as far as right now with the bullpen. They they need some help. The rotation could use some help unless they want to rely on three rookies down the stretch, which I don't think they do. And they they do need some sort of injection into the lineup. And they've mentioned that. They hope it's internal. What if Josh Rojas comes back and he's kind of early season Josh Rojas and how much that could potentially help. He, not, he hasn't had a home run at the major league level this year. He's hit a couple at the minor league level. This but he year. Ha- everybody I, I hits know, in I, Reno. I, I know. That's, that's a joke. That's a joke. But like, I actually theory, think they have clarity at third base. I know a really? lot of people think that they should be going out and upgrading third base. I actually think they they have clarity now. Not um, that I think it's like set in stone for years to come. I don't think Emmanuel Rivera is the future at the position. I don't. I certainly don't think Evan Longoria is the future at his age. But I actually think Rojas getting sent down did wonders for them offensively because, like I said, he hadn't hit a home run all season. He had a good first two weeks, if I remember right, of the season, but pretty much, yeah, tanked after that. And Evan Longoria is more than capable over there. Emmanuel Rivera is actually fairly capable at third base. He's a sneaky athletic defender. Yeah, yeah. but offensively, Longoria had a real power surge at one point, and I think he deserves some credit for that. Rivera's not a power hitter, but he is a capable hitter. He's had a hot July. Could they upgrade the position? Yeah, of course course they could. They could go and get, I don't know, Candelario from Washington or something like that, and it would make sense. It would be an upgrade. But I actually think they have more clarity at third base now than they did Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the season. I don't know if that's far-fetched to think, but... That's how I feel about it. I just know that Hazen has mentioned Rojas a couple of times as somebody that they feel is going to be back and contributing in some way, shape, or form. I'd like point. for him to be a bench utility guy. That might be And it. go back to doing what they originally planned for him. Remember when he first came up after the Granky trade? He was playing left field. He played shortstop by desire, like they or by uh, necessity, because Nick Ahmed was injured. 
mean, now they, they have really Ahmed have in Perdomo. Shortstop. They don't need him to do that. Yeah. But so he if, could play second base and get Cattell off his feet a couple of times. Exactly. He could play third base against right right-handed pitchers. I mean, it, that's a, like another option. They have some in-house guys in the upper minors too. Could potentially be options. I mean, we still haven't seen like I don't know Dominic Fletcher, for instance, get like you know an ample opportunity. Really, He's had it's stretches. hard though. But now they have Canzone in that role anyway. Over Canzone, anyway. Carroll obviously is the superstar on the outfield now. McCarthy is your speedster. I mean, they have left-handed hitting outfielders that are better than Fletcher, in my opinion. Right. And, but and at the major league level, with already. right-handed hitters, Lewis has gotten like a couple of games here and that. The start of the season, he goes on the IL. He comes back for what a week, less a than minute, a week, yeah, and then gets sent back down after like a two-hit performance or something like that. So if they don't see it with Lewis, and that's something they want to go to. Um, they've mentioned potentially looking in that direction, but with all of this being said and the potential Guriel possibilities and all that kind of stuff, it's still at the end of the day, pitching is going to be the priority. Needs to and be talking about you know what it would take for Montgomery. Could they get Hicks in that deal? Could they shoot for the stars with Bednar and Keller? Which if they can, they I think they probably absolutely should. Uh, I don't see the Pirates doing that, but we'll, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe they get blown away by a. By a package, but at this point, that's more or less where I feel that they're at at this point. And some of these packages for a starting pitcher and a reliever, the Dodgers got one, the Angels got one. That seems to make the most sense. So that's our discussion centering around the trade deadline. We'll probably end up having another one early next week. Um, I feel like we can't talk about the trade deadline without me at least saying this sentence, so I'm just going to say it. Shohei Otani's off the trade market. Shocker. Uh, I think you and I both expected that at some point. I don't know that I ever thought they would say he's off the trade market. I just thought they wouldn't trade him. I didn't yeah, think they would make it clear, like, okay, we're we're keeping the guy. If they were going to keep the guy, they were going to make trades to bolster the roster at this point. And so that was going to be the tell anyway. Um, but yeah, it, it was a fun idea. It's like, oh, man, could you imagine a lineup with Corbin first, Otani second, and Cattell third or something like that? But that was never going to happen. I just want to know. I so desperately want to know. And we'll never know this. I want to know what packages they got offered for Otani. Apparently nothing good enough to make them actually consider anything. But they might have been... Artie Moreno might have gone to management and said, we're not moving Otani, but see what you can get. Yeah. And if it somehow blew everyone away, if if some team offered their entire franchise or whatever, you know... That's what it would have taken, though. Right. And I, I said this over the weekend, and I still actually believe this. I think that for Otani, you would have had to give up two all-star caliber players, probably four really good prospects, and you have to take Anthony Rendon's contract. I'm not sure about the Rendon piece of it. I am fully convinced that that would have helped get a deal done. Like if if my if the Mets for some reason wanted to acquire him, like okay, Steve Cohen, fine, you can have Shohei Otani. Give me your whole franchise, and oh by the way, you have to pay Anthony Rendon because that's like the last piece that Artie Moreno would want is okay. I get all these great players, all these great prospects, and oh by the way, I get one of the worst contracts in baseball off my books. Right. If I'm going to trade the best baseball player that this sport has ever seen, at least in terms of talent. I better be getting some salary relief as well. And that would have never happened for any franchise to do that. Probably not. And if and if you give up and if you get less because you want to throw Anthony Rendon in the deal, that's telling your fans like, oh, we're getting rid of Shohei Otani in part of a salary dump. Yeah. Oh, boy, that's a bad look. Yeah. Well, it would have been a bad look no matter how they did it. To yeah. Be honest. So this this made it. Just made Instead, they can just let him walk in free agency. Um, Unless 
<laughs> unless he decides to stay, which exactly. I don't know what that would look like unless they can contend. We'll see how that goes for them. Um, let's talk some specific Diamondbacks angles before we end there. Uh, Merrill Kelly is back. He's going to be pitching again for the Diamondbacks. What does that mean for the rotation? It's huge. I mean, we've already seen it. Um, they, yeah, they, they got a win with him uh, on the mound. He pitched six innings, one run in his return after missing a month of baseball. I mean, it says a lot about him, about how he kind of prepared himself when he came back um, and what he can give you. Because with him and Gallon back at the top of the rotation, it makes it so much easier to sort of set yourself up in each like individual series. And with Kelly, I mean, they just so desperately missed that kind of assurance because with Gallon, you kind of know what you're going to get most of the time. With Kelly, now you know what you're going to get. He has been the most consistent pitcher in that rotation. He hasn't had the highs of, of Gallon, but he basically was six innings every single time. I think uh, his first start of the year against the Dodgers, uh, I remember when that was a, you know, a, a talking point about him, like, oh, after the World Baseball Classic, I wasn't around, all that kind of stuff. That was the only start he's had all year that didn't last at least five innings. And he's gone six or longer, I think, in six of the last seven starts that he's made. That is so valuable to kind of reset yourself, reset the bullpen, you know, and look with Ryan Nelson and Tommy Henry, there have been really great glimmers and there's been some consistency, more consistency from Henry than with Nelson. But Nelson has proven that when he's hitting, he can be you know, pretty dangerous. But just to just to know that what you're going to get out of Merrill Kelly adds a lot and having him back in the clubhouse adds a lot. So I, I think that's a huge deal. Uh, and if they can get somebody else in that rotation to supplement them, um, it could be potentially one of the best top trios in the league if it's like a Jordan Montgomery or something like that. Uh, we know that Corbin Carroll is quickly, very quickly, becoming the best player on this team, at least on becoming. the offense. Yeah, he, he already is, it looks like. <laughs> but this team was originally supposed to be centered around a guy named Cattell Marte, and I think he deserves a ton of credit. Cattell Marte is looking like 2019 Cattell Marte again. Something that we've been longing for for a couple of seasons. He currently is hitting 291, better than Corbin Carroll. Oh, wait. on base 370. Sorry to interrupt, but we have another reliever. The what Ast- happened? The Astros are uh, in agreement with the White Sox for Kendall Graveman. Oh, so that's another okay. White Sox reliever. So basically, now it's just Aaron Bummer. That's yeah, another White Sox reliever who's who's on the market at this point. Kendall Graveman. Okay, you know who else Chicago has? Uh, was uh, Keenan Middleton. That's true. Somebody the D-backs Former let go. Former Diamondback. <laughs> D-backs let go a couple of guys who are having good seasons elsewhere, like Tyler Holton. Remember I haven't him? noticed. I remember Tyler Holton, but I haven't noticed. He's, He's having a good, good year? for Detroit. Yeah. Okay. And now Keenan Middleton's having a very good season for, for Chicago. Yeah. So maybe if you want to get Middleton Chicago's back unloading, too. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Middleton could be an option. There's some familiarity there. I don't know how much the Diamondbacks liked him. They clearly let him go. Yeah. Um, not that I thought he was a big name or anything like that, but that is interesting. Another Chicago player off the board. Yeah, I was just mentioning Catal Marte. He's hitting 291. His on base is 370. Um, he's got a 142 OPS plus, so he's far above average as a player. He's really, really good this season. One of the best second basemen in the game. And the last time we saw him play like this was 2019 when he was top five in MVP voting. Yeah, it's so he hit the game or he hit the triple that led to the game-tying run in that second contest against the the Cardinals. 
the way he was flying around the bases, I don't think I've seen him run that fast. McCarthy made a joke afterwards. He was like, I didn't know you could go that fast. <laughs> but healthy Cattell Marte is one of the best players in baseball. It's true. and At a pivotal position. A, yeah, exactly. I mean, he right now, uh, just pulling up Fangraph's war right now, he's, he's a three-win player. Fangraph's is a little less kind in that regard than, than baseball reference in that case. But with Carroll and with Cattell and with Walker, they have three of the top 30 offensive players in baseball. And it, it, it's, it's such a point about not only Cattell's success, which has been huge, but the success of the top of the ro- the top of the order, with when it's Perdomo, Marte, Carroll, and Walker, they've been one of the most productive groups in the league all season for the most part. And that doesn't happen if Cattell Marte is banged up because last year was such a different version of him than what we've seen in previous or like in the 2019 version of him. Um, so just to have him as that piece, and he's signed up for uh, a few years now. He signed a five year extension going into last year, if they can get continuously get a few more years of healthy Cattell Marte like this, I mean, that does wonders for you. Yeah, and they've still got the designated hitter slot to kind of move some guys around. If you Like you mentioned, if you bring back Josh Rojas, he can play some second base. Perdomo can slide over. He can play second base. Um, they've got a couple options there to try to keep him healthy. So I think, I think that's been a big thing on Torrey Lovello's to-do list the last couple of seasons has been, how do I keep Cattell Marte healthy so that I get, you know, a hundred games of really awesome Cattell versus sixty games of okay, I don't know what I'm gonna get. You know what I mean? And and even more so, like I think it just has to do with the fact that Cattell Marte was supposed to be like the centerpiece of this team. That's why they locked him up long term. He wanted to be here. They wanted him here. They made it happen. Corbin Carroll, we know, has evolved into their their best player. He's the most exciting player. Uh, he's got the pedigree that Marte never really had. I mean, I remember him being a decent prospect, but he wasn't even the key piece that they were bringing over in that trade. That was supposed to be Taiwan Walker. Was it? I think so. Taiwan Walker was a top prospect, but he had come up in Seattle and wasn't hadn't Cattell been impressive. also a pretty decently high prospect from what I remember? I think that trade was about Taiwan Walker. I really, really do. Yeah. I always viewed it that way. If I, I'm wrong about that, I mean, I don't know. I always felt that way, though. Oh, I wasn't here. So I'd have to go back and look at it. Because Gene but. Segura was the pe- the main piece in that trade. Yeah, Mitch Hanniger was Hanager. involved. Yeah. And then there was a pitcher. I can't even remember who that was. Um, but yeah, they. I always thought that deal was Segura for two decent prospects. One in Walker, who was a super prospect, just hadn't worked out at the major league level yet. And then it turns out he wasn't really all that particularly great here either, I didn't think. And then he goes on to have success in places like New York. And I think he's in Philadelphia now. Yep. Is that right? Um, so anyway, just wanted to give some credit to Cattell Marte because he's starting to look like 2019 Marte again. And gosh, that's a good feeling. So absolutely. And yeah, I get back to the lineup. It's like, and Hazen has mentioned this, the top of the order is doing its job. It's it just is. about finding consistency throughout. And some of the other guys, Rivera's hot. McCarthy and Thomas have been pretty decent, uh, in this month offensively. It's just finding that balance. Now Moreno's out. That hurts because he was hitting pretty well. He was kind of finding it a little bit offensively in his last 30 plate appearances or so. Um, so we mentioned Gurriel earlier. If he can get going again, that does so much as far as like your ability to hit lefties. Um, if him and Levin Longoria are back to... Well, Longoria had a very good June, but has been stumbling a little bit in July. And then Gurriel had a couple of months of downturn. If they can get some of the better versions of those two guys and be able to flip your lineup depending on your matchups, 
then you get the early season version of what the Steinbacks lineup looked like when it was one of the best in baseball and not one right now that it sort of depends on the night you catch them. Quickly looking at the schedule ahead. Tonight, the start of a series, a three-game series at Chase Field against Seattle. An interesting club. Big series for both teams. Yeah. That's a club, actually, that I think for a while last year, they were on a similar trajectory that the Diamondbacks are this year. And that's funny because at the Fall League this past fall, I talked with uh, Cooper Hummel while he was a part of the Diamondbacks. And he said, the 2023 Diamondbacks will be the 2022 Mariners. Well, then a couple days later, he got traded to the Mariners. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny, uh, kind of ironic. But they get Seattle for three games. I'm going to the game tonight. Tommy Henry against Logan Gilbert. I'm excited to see what Tommy Henry's got in the tank for tonight. Then they hit the road for a seven-game road trip, four in San Francisco, followed by three in Minnesota. I mean, these next seven games, I mean, all those games. I mean, it, pretty much the Diamondbacks for the rest of the season will be playing opponents who are fighting for something. And so that's going to kind of test them out and where they are and how quickly they can get back to being the best version of them. Um, but yeah, this series in particular, D-backs are half a game out of the wild card right now. It's crazy to think that they're not currently in a wild card spot, but they're not. They're half a game back of Cincinnati. And then the Seattle Mariners are four and a half games back of the wild card in the American League. So what happens if the Diamondbacks sweep the Mariners and the Mariners fall to like seven games back or something what happens if the mariners come in and take care of business against the diamondbacks and what does that look like so uh big series for both teams that giant series is going to be incredibly massive too because the giants have the top wild card spot in the national league right now uh and they're one game better than the diamondbacks and that means that the diamondbacks have four games to play before the trade deadline one o'clock arizona time on tuesday um They have a game that night at 645, so four games between now and then. Three against Seattle at home. I think by then they will probably know, if not even maybe make some deals by then, because some teams have pulled the trigger a little bit early. They might make one as Um, soon as we get off of here. uh, Yeah, that seems to kind of be a thing that happens. Uh, That often happens to me on weekends as well. I get off the air and then people make important decisions I should be talking about. Um, But we'll see what happens. I mean, this series with Seattle, yeah, it might play a huge role in what goes on. I don't think you should base your trade deadline strategy on what happens on any individual day. But we can all acknowledge that that happens every single year. Teams make decisions based on, you know, what are we today, not what are we going to be tomorrow. So we'll see what they do. And uh, we'll keep an eye on the trade deadline. We'll probably do another podcast early next week uh, as we approach the deadline and as things start to unravel for the Diamondbacks in a good way. Maybe an emergency pod? Uh, there a might be. trade? There might know. be. A, bed, a Bednar one? Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Call on your shot. I love what that. What will they look like? That's Alex Weiner. Covers the team for ArizonaSports.com. I'm Steve Zinsmeister. Thank you so much for checking out the Ain't No Fang podcast here at ArizonaSports.com and on the Arizona Sports app. Arizona Sports app.